Well, chasing this season of Epiphany, we first started talking about voice. And then last week, we talked about vision. And this week, we're talking about repentance. Okay? Talking about repentance. And so, I would invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 14 through verse 20. Now, if you're not familiar with Mark 1, or you're super familiar with Mark 1, you just need an update on what actually is happening in Mark 1, I'd be happy to provide one for you. Jesus has just met John the Baptist. He's gone out to be baptized by him. While Jesus was baptized... The heavens opened up, and a dove came down and set upon, or I don't know if it says it set upon him, but it came down upon, uh, near Jesus at least, and a voice came out from the clouds. This is my son in whom I am well pleased, all right? And then Jesus immediately goes from there into the desert. This is how Mark tells the story. He immediately goes from there into the desert. Now, this is after he gets done with the desert, After he's done with the desert, we're now in verse 14. That is your brief context lesson for this morning. Did I give everyone a chance to get to Mark 1, 14? Okay. Let us read. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore, the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. It's okay for that to sound weird. And they left their nets at once and followed him. It's okay, Michelle, for that to sound even weirder. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons. They were James and John. They were in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now listen, this won't be very much fun for you uh, if we can't use an imagination, all right? If you can't just uh, be invited along to dream kind of big, all right? The gospel actually won't be all that much fun to you if you don't wrestle with the images that come across as weird, all right? So I invite you this morning to wrestle with these things. I invite you to use your imagination uh, to picture with me what it must have been like for Jesus to walk across the shore there where on one side was the Sea of Galilee, representing this uh, kind of chaotic mess, this water that could maybe at any point rise up and destroy these people. In fact, you'll see in, in later on in Mark that that's exactly a scene that happens. They're out on the sea, and they're afraid that the waters are going to claim the life, and they call upon Jesus, and he calms them. So would you imagine with me, Jesus is walking alongside, and on one side, it's just kind of the smell of uh, the salty air, and this is the Sea of Galilee. This is on his right side because I was there with him. When you, I know he walked this way and the sea was on his right side. And then 
Just use your imagination, all right? And then on the left side here is the smell of fish. Ooh, yeah. Smell of fish and beard oil. I imagine that Peter, getting ready to go fish, he grabbed his beard oil. He was a hipster kind of guy. And he got, he got himself rubbed it through there. I don't know, if Ben, if you're using beard oil yet, but you should, man. It's a beautiful thing. Ah, uh, oh, it smells good. Uh, <laughs> And so, on one side is the smell of the salty sea, and on the other side is the smell of pure man, hard work, nets and fish and living guts and glory. Okay. And Jesus kind of splits the middle here. <laughs> he kind of splits the different difference. And beneath his toes is the sand of real earth, but this man comes from somewhere else. You see, the word that he uses there, uh, uh, God's promised time. The word time, God's promised time, that word time. We tell time differently, don't we? Or sorry, let me back up. We tell time normal. God's the weird one. He tells time differently, doesn't he? See, if God was normal, he would tell time like born October 29th, 1982, the greatest day of mankind. That's how he would begin the story. If God was normal, I don't know who was born on that day, but it must have been a really good day. Uh, and, then, and then moving forward, he would say things like began kindergarten in 1988. Okay, I don't know who I'm talking about here. But, uh, and then graduated high school in 2001 and went to college and graduated college in 2005 took a gap year in 2006 went to seminary later that same year in 2006 and then graduated in 2010 moved to Florida in 2010 moved back to Kansas City in 2012 hung out in Overland Park and then in 2016 moved to Lee Summit and then on January 21st 2018 stands beside you everything always moving forward right Time never has a reset button. Time never goes back. Time always goes forward. If God could just get with the picture, if he could just be normal like us, he would know that there's no going back, that there's always going forward, that time is of the essence. Time is always escaping us. In fact, some of you are frustrated with my mini lecture on time because I'm wasting your precious time. You're ready to go. You're ready to watch the Jaguars go to the Super Bowl. Uh, you're excited, right, Tom? Right, uh, Derek? Okay, you're... <laughs> <laughs> These are Patriots fans. I just, yeah, yeah, they're going to get up and storm out of the church. Uh, but when Jesus says God's promised time has come, he's not talking in terms of linear time. He's not talking in terms of A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, 4, after 12 comes 1, then 2, and then 3, this linear progression of time. Instead, he's talking in terms of seasons, and just write like eras. He's talking in terms of seasons and eras, like the golden ball era in baseball that some say made up the greatest time in baseball history, or the steroids era in baseball, if you're a baseball fan, that some will say represented the worst time in baseball history. This isn't, this, when we think about the steroids era, we think in terms of characters, right? Who's the first person that comes to mind when I say steroids era of baseball? Barry Bonds, right? And we also think of a pitcher that pitched for the New York Yankees during this time and also the Houston Astros a little bit. 
Roger Clemens, that's right. And we think of a guy who played for St. Louis Cardinals and a guy who played for the Chicago Cubs. Who were these characters? Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, right? And we think in terms of characters, we think in terms of events. We think at that time that Brady Anderson, who was just a scrawny little outfielder, uh, hit 51 homers after never hitting more than seven homers his entire career. In one season, he hits 51, and we think about that year in 1997, and we go, whoa, man, wasn't that crazy? That was a crazy era of baseball, right? We think narratively. When Jesus splits the difference, on one side being the chaos of the waters and on the other side being the hard, grit, living, making your wage in today's world, being between the working man and the chaos of nature. When Jesus shows up and splits, he announces a new era, a new season. And he says not only... God's promised era is at hand. He says that it is near. And the English language doesn't have good, just doesn't have good language to define what Jesus was saying or what Mark was remembering in Greek. But this is another term for space. It's a spatial quantity. It's not only that Jesus is announcing a whole new era, not the steroids era, a new era. Something that, not the golden ball era, a new era, something, a new season, not spring, not fall, not winter, not summer, something new, a fifth season, something different. He's not here announcing the seven day week, he's here announcing the eighth day week, just something different, a whole new way of thinking. But Darla, not only does he announce that there's a new fifth season that you don't know anything about, and that there's a new eighth day that is so hard for our linear minds to even capture, not only is he saying in that, But he's saying that the space of this era, like the actual circumference, like if this era had a way to breathe in it and to live in it and to have gravity in it and to somehow have oxygen within it, that this whole era, this whole spatial dimension is near. In some ways, towing the line between the chaos and the working man, he announces a whole new world. What's your favorite era? If you had to think about your life in terms of eras, characters and narratives, fun things, tell me, talk to me. What's your favorite era? Mine was when I was in college. All right, don't tell Jenny. <laughs> I meant to say mine's right now. <laughs> My favorite era was college, man. I'm not going to tell you any college stories, but talk to me. So let's go for coffee this week. I'll tell you college stories. Fun. I had a fun time. <laughs> My grades weren't great. I had a great time, though. <laughs> What's your favorite era? Anybody? Yeah. The, you know, <laughs> exactly. Especially right now with your kids, right, Grace? All the eras are so great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A uh, whole new era for me. whole new era for me was watching movies. All right, so I was older. I was later on in my elementary years. My very first movie came when I was in sixth grade. Can you imagine? Okay, so a lot of you probably went to see your first movie. Maybe some of you went before you can remember. Like I just took Hadley. She probably won't remember ever going to see that movie, but I took her before. She'll even have memory. Uh, But for me, I can remember distinctly the first movie that I went to go see. 
I was in sixth grade, okay? And we were on vacation, and all of us went, all five of us, my whole family, and we walked through the movie theater, and I had never been in one before, okay? And so everything, the smell of the popcorn, right? The uh, super overpriced snacks, right? The 72-ounce soda drinks, okay? All of this was God's heaven breaking into my life. This was glorious, and I'd never seen it. And then we went, into the, we went into the screen, and we sat down, and in front of me was like this four-story tall screen, you know, super wide, uh, comfy chair. I, you know, man, this just was not like my box TV at home in O'Fallon, Missouri. This was, this was something glorious, and it was new. And my life, man, was being introduced to a whole new era. And you know what movie I watched? Ironically. Aladdin. Aladdin was my first ever film. It literally was a whole new world. <laughs> I told you, I, I had to just zing. If you, if you looked at your bulletin, congratulations, you were one of three people that did it this morning. Uh, you'll notice that it says the title of the sermon is A Whole New World. So, Kevin, that whole lead up was just for me to make that connect, right? This era of watching movies, to me, was all brand new. I'd never seen anything like it. And as we watched Aladdin, I was amazed, not just at the wonderful Disney story, but at the art, at the cinematic beauty of watching a screen that's four stories high and the surround sound of music and my senses were engaged. I I can't believe that I had gone 12 years of my life without that in it. It was a whole new world. Now I'm a big movie lover, and I love it. I, I try to go as often as I can. You ever think about Jonah? Like, you ever, like, you, you read that story for us this morning, just part of it. The part of the story, Jenny, that you read for us is that part where Jonah uh, is called to go back into Nineveh. Uh, you ever just use your imagination with me. This sermon will be no fun if you don't use your imagination, okay? Like, you ever imagine how difficult that must have been? They said that it was a long walk. That it was a three days journey. Uh, when I'm on foot, uh, a full day would be 15 miles, okay? That, that would be a full day. I might be able to do more, but that'd be a full day. I imagine Nineveh to be 45 miles long. It's a long city. It's a big city, especially in those days, right? Uh, and, and here's Jonah walking in this city. And, it, and what we know of Nineveh, we know that it was deprived, that everything in Jonah was trying to leave that call to have to walk in his city, that if he could somehow be in some other city, if he could wake up somehow in some other era, if he could be in some other season, if he could somehow trade out Nineveh with something else, he would rather live in the belly of a well than have to walk the streets of Nineveh. But God's patience and God's forbearance and God's providence wins out, and here is Nineveh with his feet on the sand, or here's Jonah with his feet on the sand of Nineveh, and on one side of him represents just the depraved nature of humankind and the sinfulness in which they can get themselves in. And I wonder, this is going to be gross, what he smells as he walks by on his 15-mile journey through Nineveh, thinking that he's got 30 more miles after this. What is, what is Jonah seeing? 
and he looks to the right side of him. Cakes knee deep in just the grotesque end result of brokenness and of sin and of destruction. And as he wafts in, whatever smells come with that, and as he soaks in, whatever vision comes along with that, he's got to feel, no pun intended, like a fish out of water. (laughs) I wonder if he feels trapped. I wonder if he feels like this is the embodied version of living in a whale. All around him, it's just the skeleton of what should be. All around him. It's just smells of rotting God, of rotting through God's promise. They are everything they shouldn't be. I wonder if Nineveh, or I wonder if Jonah thought that God had some sick joke that he would spew him out of the rottenness of a well's belly into a city like Nineveh that was exactly the same. And all around on either side, the city gets larger and larger and larger. And I wonder if he feels as if he's engulfed by everything that God is not. So on his 15-mile journey on day one, what does he say? What does he say as he's skating between just the most vile thing he could walk between? I have in my mind, like, one side of that street would represent one way of being. And the other side of that street would represent another way of being. But both ways, no matter how passionate one side of the street becomes, and no matter how passionate the other side of the street comes, to Jonah, both sides are just just the worst representation of what you could be or become. I have in my mind that these two sides have grown up around Jonah in such division that they can't interact with one another, so they remain separated, but they cannot see any other way. They only see the way they know and the way to be, and it has become awful. It's become horrible. It's like checking Facebook in the morning. It's just the worst place so walk between. And here is Jonah, right? Walking between the two city streets of Nineveh for 15 miles. And what, Brenda, is Jonah saying? I asked myself that question this week, uh, Nathan. And uh, there's a psalm in Psalm 62. If you're interested, I'd have you flip there with me. It's a beautiful psalm. And in the eighth verse of this psalm, I wonder if this is what's on Jonah's lips as he skates the middle of a rotten city. Oh, my people, trust in Yahweh at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Oh man, what world was Jonah living in? How odd it must be to show up in a place that is so rotten and destructive. And to say, put all of your heart's trust in Yahweh. Oh man, that must sound as awkward as if I had you do that tomorrow morning when you showed up at work. 
how it would feel like the whole factory is rising up against you. It'd feel like all of KCPL is craving in upon you, caving in upon you. You'd feel so odd standing there in your call center, standing up from your cubicle and saying, put all your trust in Yahweh. And they would say, stop doing heroin. (laughs) How weird it must have been for Jonah to be in a real place speaking language of a different world. I wonder if Jesus felt this tension. The tension of Jonah. If Jesus felt showing up and walking that beach, man, walking that line between the chaos of water and the hard-working nature of humankind. And he shows up preaching about a whole new era, a whole new time. He's not talking about the disciples, they should switch and go live in the water and that the water should switch and go live on the land. He's not doing that. Jonah's not walking the streets of Nineveh telling one side of the street that the other side of the street's got it better. Jonah's not getting up real early in the morning on Facebook, putting down the right side of the street so that he can lift up the left side of the street. Jonah is walking right in the middle of a world that has gone to hell. I think about Larry Nasser. All right, this will be it. I told a Sunday school class I was deciding if I was going to talk about this or not. I just made the decision. I'm going to talk about it. Lord, be with me. Do you know who Larry Nasser is? Okay. I'll give you a little feedback. Larry Nasser was, or a little history. Larry Nasser was uh, the team doctor for the U.S. Olympic team specifically working with the gymnast team for many, many years, and he also worked for Michigan State University as an athletic doctor there. He's accused of uh, sexually abusing uh, well over 120 women. I don't know what the actual number is, but it's over 120. And uh, he's being brought to sentence uh, at the first part of this week. They started the sentence hearing on Tuesday. Are you guys familiar now? More caught up. The name didn't catch your attention, but the, the story does. You know the story, right? Yes. Oh my gosh, why even talk about Nineveh? We don't need to talk about Nineveh. None of us have gone to Nineveh, but we all know Larry Nasser. <laughs> we all know sexual molestation, right? Nineveh and the depravity, that means nothing to us. That's just Bible stories that we learned in VBS. But Larry Nasser, now we can talk about something that's real. Now, sexual harassment, that's real because we've experienced it. And there's people in this room that have been molested and have been harassed. This is real stuff. This ain't Nineveh stuff. That's Bible stories. But this is real life. And here is a man standing on trial for his, like the worst picture of what humankind can be. That's Larry Nasser. That's him. He is the worst image of what you could become in your life. Dear God, he is everything that smells of rot. In fact, that's what the judge told him, Ben. The judge said, you will rot in prison. And the judge also said, thank you, man, thank you. God bless you. And the judge also said that if she could will it, she 
if she could allow it by U.S. law, that she would have done to him what he did to others. And I heard an administrator that belonged to one of the institutions that Larry worked for. And the administrator said that uh, they hope that they can come to the bottom of this, working with all of the investigators, and come to find the real story in all of this, so that they could heal and move forward. As if this administrator belonged to only linear time, and that somehow the horrible, vile, Act, the heinous act. Like if you read the accounts of these women, you will be blown away. In fact, I wouldn't encourage it, really. It's just horrible what he did and what he was allowed to do. And this administrator talks as if just finding out the information can heal all of that stuff that he did. That somehow we could just mark time today and begin it new. As if all of that stuff in the past had never happened. As if just if, just if, we, if we somehow just stand up here and we as a community collectively agree that we're going to move forward from this, we can somehow step into January 22nd as if August 12, 2005 never happened. Try telling that to the women who have all sorts of dates in their mind. They know what he was wearing. They knew what he smelled like. They could tell you everything they did that day, but they can't tell you anything they've done since. Try telling them to move forward. What type of bogus answer is that? We're going to get to the bottom of this and we're going to find healing for our community and move forward. Have you ever been, have you ever, have you ever been in the middle of something so vile and so depraved? Have you ever been traumatized? Have you ever belonged to a small group that committed sin? Have you ever gone to a church that committed sin? Have you ever been so knee deep in something that it brought your whole world down? Has your son ever done something? That's almost near ruined your family? Has your daughter ever walked away from you? Have you ever experienced something that you can't move on? You can mark to the degree what happened on the day of trauma for you, but you cannot remember what happens next. All of your days are ordered around this one event as if you live in linear time. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, living Monday to Sunday and to do it over again. No, you live that one day over and over and over again. So, what do you say, Matt? What do you say to someone who's been sexually abused by Larry Nasser and he sits right there? What do you say that heals and moves forward? What do you say that forgives? I've been wondering this week, Matt, like the judge I think is doing a phenomenal job in my own opinion, but you didn't ask for my opinion. I think the judge is doing a phenomenal job in my own opinion, but the judge is not God. (laughs) 
And so I've been been wondering, like, if Jesus said, you know, we do call God the righteous judge, do we not? So I wonder if God was sitting in that seat above Larry Nasser. I think God would do the exact same thing that Judge did, in that he would invite all the stories, because we don't live in a vacuum of time. These things are real, and they happen, and they can't live in darkness. Light can't get into places that we cover up. And so we've got to learn to tell the truth about our past. We've got to learn or trust someone or go to a therapist. We have a good one in our congregation. I have several recommendations if you would like one. Go to someone. You can come to me. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about your story. We've got to share. We can't be locked up into these vacuums of time as if they don't, as it didn't happen, as if you can just somehow move forward. No, you've got to learn. I didn't mean to take this long before I started preaching, but we've got to learn, church, how to walk through Nineveh. We've got to learn. But we don't walk. Has someone that is going to somehow make the past right again? No, it is broken. No, you have experienced the worst of humankind. To the gymnast of the U.S. Olympic team, there is nothing. Naming your story and bringing it to light is only, only the beginning. There is nothing that can heal the consequences of what that man did. You'll live with it for the rest. They will live with it for the rest of their life. And so I wondered, what would be the language of God if God was the judge of Larry Nasser? What would he say to him? Would he say the same things the judge has said? That I hope what will happen to you next is that, every, that everything you did to these ladies will be done unto you. Is that the language that God through Jesus Christ uses? I'm telling you, what I'm about to say now, you can fire me after the service. In fact, if you want to know how to do that, I can tell you how to do that. There's a clear process in the church of Nazarene. You can do it. Just come talk to me. The nature of the gospel is scandalous. But... When God looks at Larry, you know God doesn't see what we see, right? When God looks at Larry, he sees places like Nineveh. And what does God do to Nineveh? He sends a messenger to walk right through its muck and mire, to walk right through its mess, and to proclaim that there is a new world a new era, a whole new star belonging to a whole new cosmos, a whole new galaxy that shines up there above the Bethlehem sky that represents a whole new way of doing things. And so I imagine that if God stood in the judge's seat and looked over Larry Nasser, I think what God would say is, you're not whom I created you to be. Don't you know, Larry? You are the worst version of what I thought you could become. You were meant for good. When I hemmed you in your mother's womb, boy, Larry, I rejoiced over you. I danced over you. And when you were born, Larry, me and the angels, we wept tears of joy because you were beautiful. When I created you was the same time that I created the first seven days. And it was good. 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 It was very good. You can ask me about that later. Significant the seven times. He says it's good. On the seventh time, he called life very good. And when God looks over Larry Nasser, what God sees 
is what he intended the world to be. And when he peers in to Larry Nasser, he not only sees what Larry was intended to be, he sees what one day will become. And God doesn't sit in the seat of this judge, nor does he seat in the, sit in the seat of the prosecutor, nor does he stand behind the witness stand, nor does he write a testimony. Instead, God sends his son Jesus to announce that there's a whole new world, and it's not Republican, and it's not Democrat. It's not American, and it's not Mexican. There's no borders that can control this. It's not of this world, don't you understand? It comes from another place. It comes from Genesis 1. It comes from the same place that Eden comes from. And God, when he sees us, he sees before you should be judged. Don't you know? Come on. Don't you know that when God looks at you, he does not see divorcee. He knows you before you were divorced. And he knows who you're going to be after all that crap. Don't you know that when God shows up to your Nineveh, He's not trying to somehow undo all of that that's been done. No, he's making inside you something brand new. We speak of it as new creation. Jesus shows up through the Spirit. It's a mystery, I know. And skates the line of your heart right in the middle of all the crap that's happened to you. And he shouts, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. A whole new world is here. And it's come crashing in. And it's not something that you need to be. It's something that I am that I'll make in you. The only problem I have with the song we sang this morning, if this is your first time hearing me preach, I'm so sorry. I'm not mad. I just get amped up. you got to understand, I've been reading the scripture all week long, waiting for this moment. So please forgive me. I will excuse you for not being as excited as me because chances are you haven't spent all week peering into the Larry Nasser case seeing how it connects with Mark 1. Okay? I have. I'm so amped. The one issue that I would have with the music we sang this morning is that when we first encounter God, we don't do the running, Matt. We don't do the running. When we first encounter Jesus, it's not us skating the line between the beach and the workmen. See, when we first encounter Jesus, it's a star that has somehow come a baby boy. It's weird. I know it's weird. In a moment, we're going to be drinking juice, calling it blood. Everything we do is weird. Just use your imagination, all right? That this baby boy is somehow a star, and that star is the center of a whole new world. And in that world, there is no sexual molestation. And so what Jesus says over Larry Nasser as he calls him to follow him is not my grace has ran out on you. No, but my scandalous grace is sufficient for you because there's a world to which you belong, Larry. And it's not the one you've acted out. That is the world of satanic activity. But I am calling you to a world of grace and mercy. Friends, This is my sign. I need to move on. Oh, boy. None of you have done what Larry's done. But all of us have been at a place where we've done something we shouldn't have done. You don't have to run. In fact, I would just 
implore you to stop running. Don't you know that he runs after you? He runs to you. Jesus runs to you. And he runs to you with an invitation to redo time. Not to keep going on as if the past hadn't happened. But what Jesus is going to do when you accept his running to you is he's going to march you back starting from the beginning and move you forward. And there's going to come a time where you need to redo time and he'll take you back and he'll start you at the beginning and move you forward. Don't you know that everything we do as disciples we do on circular time? It's not linear. No, we get the opportunity through God's grace and God's invitation to go back to Genesis 1, time after time after time. And don't you know that the Bible does not begin in Genesis 3 where it talks about sin and total depravity. The Bible begins in Genesis 1 where it talks about goodness and God's holiness. And when God starts the story over you, Cindy, he doesn't start in Genesis 3. He starts in Genesis 1 so you can understand the grace he has for you when you sin. Boy, it's scandalous. But there is grace for all the people that we can't find grace for. And that's what it looks like to show up tomorrow morning and to skate the third way. That's what it looks like. To not succumb to the two options that you feel like you have at work but instead to live into this whole new world. So what does it look like to talk about forgiveness when your coworkers are talking about gossip? What does it look to model patience when your coworkers are freaking out about their finances? What does it look like to use language of love when we only know how to use language of hate? And when we're divided between two ways of doing things, Is it possible to dream of a whole new world? This is called repentance. And it's not about starting over today. It's about starting over at the very, very beginning. And through Jesus. Oh, I did this last week. I got to do it again, right? Jesus. What do they call Jesus? The two Greek letters, Derek, that they call Jesus. Uh, the Alpha, right? I, I think they refer to God this, but the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> and Alpha means what? It's the, it's the beginning, right? It's the beginning. And what's Omega? It's the end. See, we live in linear time, and there are some of you today that came to church. I didn't even think I was going to preach like this, so I apologize. If I didn't mean to be so like. <laughs> but there are some of you that came to church today that are freaking out about current circumstances, And I actually don't know of any examples. No one's talked to me. I just imagine that with a room full of 70 people, there's someone here freaking out about the life they live. Jesus doesn't see in linear time. See, Jesus is holding the beginning of Genesis 1, and he's holding the end of Revelation 22. He's holding the beginning and the end, and he's got you right in the middle. Don't you know when he sees you? He sees you at the beginning. And he's carrying you to the end. And all of it will be good, redeemed, and restored. When he sees you, he sees you in circular time. Your story is being redeemed, friend. Your story is being reconciled. There is no place that you can go that's separate from the love of God. Even in the depths of Sheol, 
The Alpha and the Omega is holding the beginning and the end. Even over someone as horrible as Larry, there is grace for him because God has a picture of him that is totally different and other and for him. And if Larry can be given that type of grace, dear God, so can I. And so can you. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, a common loaf, just like we are common and normal. And he took the bread and he broke it. I'll make a quick aside to say, for the sake of community, we use gluten-free bread, okay? I know it doesn't taste the best, but if you're worried about taste, I've got a few good churches you could go to, Okay. We do that so we can all participate. And so the God breaks the bread, or Jesus breaks the bread, and he offers it to his disciples saying, when you take of this meal, do so in remembrance of me. And he invites us to repent and walk back through time, giving our body away to other people. Likewise, he took a common drink. He blessed it and he said, it's the blood of the new covenant that's poured out for you. When you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. And so he invites us to repent, to start back over time and to live again as someone poured out for your brother and your sister. Kim, you nailed it. Don't you know through Jesus that you are my brother or my sister? You got to claim me, T. Tay, you got to claim me. You may not like me, but don't you know, I'm your brother. (laughs) And through this meal, God gives us a chance to go back and to live your life poured into mine and to live your life broken into mine. And friend, don't you know that Larry Naser is your brother? He said, brother, I want to punch in the face. I, you know, like there's nothing that excuses this. It's the worst. There's nothing worse that could be done. But through this meal, Larry is my brother. So is the President of the United States of America. And so was the person that ran against him a year ago. I know! Can you think of two worst human beings on all the planet? One, Larry. That's it. She is my sister. He is my brother. And if those people are my brother and my sister, then dang it, that means that coworker that you want to punch in the face is also your brother and your sister. What would it look like to walk back through time? Not as if what they did to you doesn't hurt, but to do what the judge has invited, to walk back through the time, tell the story, name the light, And imagine a whole new world. When you eat of this meal, don't do so lightly. Because when you eat, you're eating saying, I am brothers and sisters with every human person in the world. If you don't mean it, don't take it. But if you mean it, come and receive of it because this is the grace 
that looks real, not just some Sunday morning service, but when you eat of this and go live in the world as if everyone's your brother and sister, this is grace that we need in our schools and in our workplaces, this in, in coffee shops. This is the grace that we need. 